This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. According to a new federal lawsuit, Jonathan Lancaster was counting down the days until his release when his failing physical and mental health went unchecked, ultimately leading to his death. But tonight, our Jim Kirchner shows us the Lancaster family is pushing for change in hopes of preventing something like this from ever happening again. The state won't discuss this case because of the lawsuit. They won't say if they've made any reforms because of this death. This should never happen to anybody's family. And I hope to make sure that it doesn't happen again. America's prisons are overflowing, but many who are kept behind bars are just children. Thousands of youths are tried as adults in the U.S. every year, and some are given life sentences in the country's harshest jails. Many then find themselves becoming victims of sexual violence and suicide. Authorities in western Pennsylvania have charged 11-year-old Jordan Brown as an adult. The boys will have one trial together in adult court. The length of his sentence is also the length of his life. They're not old enough to drive, drink, or vote, but in America, kids as young as seven years old can be tried as adults. Our mission at Death by Incarceration is to shed light on a system that viciously targets marginalized people. The United States is quickly moving back to the crime and punishment model that made us the most incarcerated country in the world. We feel our message and show are more important than ever. This country has a human rights crisis. It's not about politics. It's about what our moral obligations are to our fellow citizens and how we treat other human beings. In the words of the great Bell Hooks, for me, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? During our first season, we realized that most of our conversations revolved around men, virtually ignoring the impact mass incarceration has on women and girls. Suave and I have interviewed over 20 women for our next series of episodes. We have some amazing stories to share and are proud of the work we've done to prepare for the next phase of our show. Over the past quarter century, there has been a profound change in the involvement of women within the criminal justice system. This is the result of more expansive law enforcement efforts stiffer drug sentencing laws, and post-conviction barriers to re-entry that uniquely affect women. The female incarcerated population stands over seven times higher than it did in 1980. More than 60% of women in state prisons have a child under the age of 18. 
This week, we interviewed Danielle Dunn, sister of Jonathan Lancaster. Johnny was a healthy 38-year-old young man who had served six and a half years of his nine-year sentence in the Michigan Department of Corrections when he was murdered by staff at the Alger facility. Because of neglect of medical attention, mental health treatment, dehydration, and starvation, Johnny died alone in a segregation cell in Michigan's Upper Peninsula in March of 2019. Jonathan had lost over a quarter of his body weight, was strapped to a bed, and was refused medical treatment that would have saved his life. This is one definition of death by incarceration. Now his sister Danielle and family fight for justice and for those responsible to be held accountable for his death and to bring legislative change by speaking out for those currently suffering in solitary confinement. Please visit www.justiceforjohnny.com. That's J-O-N-N-Y. Please use the links to find out more about solitary confinement and what you can do to help abolish this terrible practice. We want to give a special thanks to Danielle. We know this was a difficult interview. We also want to tell our listeners to listen with caution. This episode contains explicit language and descriptions of events that are shocking and traumatizing. Thank you so much for listening. So first, thanks for having me, number one. I appreciate it. Um, The more exposure that I can get for him and his story is super important to put pressure not only on the prosecutors, but um, to expose what's happening here in Michigan and across the nation. Uh, So my brother, Jonathan Lancaster, he was incarcerated for about six and a half years and on a a robbery charge. He had some issues, you know, with some with alcohol and uh, made some really poor choices, obviously incarcerated. What I'm told from the state is that there was a fight you know he was moved from a level two facility to alger michigan into the segregation cell nobody could tell me why he was there how long he would be there anything like that they wouldn't give any information about a couple months later i ended up getting a letter from him letting me know that there was a you know there was a altercation there and that he was okay and he would call me when he could, when he basically got that privilege. Another almost month went by and I started to receive phone calls from uh, his girlfriend stating that something was really wrong. You know, she was able to to go up to the UP and visit him. We were not at that time. And she said, something's really wrong. You You need to check on your brother, something's really wrong. I then got a call from him and he was not himself. I had just visited him in December. So, you know, and, and this is this is a person that I've raised. So I know him better than most, right? I get the call from him and he's literally whispering in the phone, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. The COs are gonna kill me. They're setting it up. And the way that he was kind of speaking, like whispering and just not sounding like himself, I knew something was really wrong, like mentally, like he was having a breakdown or something. It wasn't normal conversation. It wasn't normal behavior for him. It may sound funny, but I never was concerned for him while he was incarcerated. He was definitely a person that could handle himself and did very much so for many years. So for him to sound like that, I I knew something was really wrong. We began to contact the prison, Alger, and they would say to me, physically, he's fine. He's fine. Physically, he's fine. And they just kept repeating that. And I'm like, listen, he needs medical care. You know, the girlfriend had been there. He had lost a ton of weight. Just just a lot of things going on that weren't right. 
And we knew, you know, as a family with him being incarcerated, we knew if we called it was a potential to make it worse because, you know, they may retaliate against him. Long story short, they started to notice his behaviors weren't normal as well. He was crouching in his cell. He was beginning to say that things were coming out of the walls. They were gassing him. He quit eating. They extracted him from his cell at one point using force when he was almost in a catatonic state. He couldn't respond because the body had begun to shut down pretty much. The reports that the MDOC have, they had to document everything that they did during that cell extraction. Um, One thing that I learned is that the camera was turned off multiple times, stating that it was dead battery on each of the batteries they plugged into the camera. An entire can of pepper spray was used on his face. An entire can. That to me right there is just unfathomable. So you know that there was abuse there. The cellies next to him were reaching out to us saying that he was horribly abused upon that extraction. He was placed in an observation cell and that is where they strapped him to a bed. He laid in his own waist and he died of dehydration, losing over a quarter of his body weight three years later. And it's still hard for me to say that knowing the torment that he suffered, knowing how he suffered just in general, all while medical staff looked on, you know, 45 staff members in and out of that cell, half of them LPNs, RNs, taking his stats and saying physically he's fine. It's not right. So today, three years later, as of March 11th, no criminal charges have been pressed against the staff. The prosecutor in Marquette tells me that it is their opinion they will press charges, but no decision has been made yet. And they've had the case for over a year. Prior to that, the state of Michigan attorney general's office had the case for a year. There's a conflict of interest because they handled the state side of the civil suit. After a year, they decided it was a conflict of interest and then began to push it out to multiple prosecutors in the UP who all which threw up their hands and said, we have a, a conflict of interest because we know someone that is named. So that's where we're at today, trying to expose the MDOC, trying to pressure and force the attorney or the prosecutor's office to press charges in my brother's case and hold the staff responsible. So I think one of the things that I wanna point out is that you've already won a civil suit in this that the AG's office defended, right? Correct. So it's yes. on record that, that all this stuff happened that you're telling us. Absolutely. And so what's really, you know, kind of sad and, and I mean, the whole story's sad. You know, no one, regardless of their charge, deserves to die like that in prison. It's just not, you know, it's when we talk about death by incarceration, that's one of the many ways that people, you know, don't come back out. And how, how close was he to being released is one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, two and a half years. So he had already served most of his sentence. Correct. Yeah, he was ready to come home. You know, for the first time in his life, you know, we, we didn't grow up in the best of homes as children. A lot of issues, you know. Um, but for the first time in his life, he had taken responsibility and was like, listen, this is me. You know, I need to fix me. And to have that and have him prepared to come home and you know, he has a daughter. He now has two grandchildren. At the time he had one, 
that he had never met. He was so looking forward to that. You know, he he'd already had a home. There was already preparations made. It was a it was a good time, and we were ready for him to come home. Since you've won the civil case, what, how long how long ago did that end? Did they settle, or did did you win the case in court? They settled. They yeah. settled immediately. The MDOC came immediately to settle as soon as it was filed. I reached out to anybody that could help me at the time. I didn't know what to do. I received the phone call from the MDOC on the 11th at approximately 1240. And the following day, I started calling the state police. I started calling, you know, just anybody I could. I didn't know what to do. I called attorneys. I'm like, I need help. You know, they murdered my brother. It wasn't probably until six or seven months later that one of those attorneys responded and was like, listen, you need to file a civil suit against the state. And um, that's what we did, just hoping to shed some kind of light on it and do something, you know, bring some kind of awareness, not really understanding really what we were getting into at the time also. But yeah, they came immediately to settle. Um, Some of their comments were that they knew that there were some bad players involved. So MDOC, some of their staff, you know, they have obviously been in communications with the prosecutor's office. And one of the assistant prosecutors who's leaving, there's no longer funding for her position. She's leaving and she shared a couple of things with me that she says maybe she should not have shared. But she says that the staff within the HR department says, they would like charges to be pressed. They, they're for it. You know, it should happen because of, you know, they don't want this to continue. But let me say something, if I may. My name is Robert Gonzalez, formerly known as AS0834, 31 years served in the state of Pennsylvania. And I just want to inform America that although your brother's story is sad as hurtful. This is something that occurred every day in the United States penal system. Medical neglect. That's what it's called. And my 31-year journey through these dark prisons, and it's been plenty of prisons. I've been in the federal system, and I've been in the state system. And medical neglect is one of the punishments that the staff use when they deem a prisoner uncontrollable, uncooperative, you know, they neglect certain things such as medical. And I've seen plenty of people in solitary confinement just die. People that couldn't breathe. People that were suffering from anxiety attacks from being boxed in in a cell. People with serious mental health issues because when you are in a prison cell, you know, you suffer from a lot of trauma. And a lot of these staff are not prepared. They're not trained to deal with the trauma that some of these brothers and sisters are going through. So they take it as he's being uncooperative. He's being disrupted. Don't let him see the nerve. Just put him in the cell. Tie him to the bed. I could speak on that because I was tied to a bed because they say I was uncorrigible. They tried to shoot me up with Thorzine. It just didn't work. It just didn't work, you know, for me. But I know the effect that it does, because I've seen people that it took a tremendous effect that drove them crazy, you know. And I just want America to understand that this is one of the methods that the DOC and its staff use to control 
prisoners that they've seen uncontrollable. They put you in solitary confinement, strap you to a bed. Sometimes they strip you naked, strap you to a bed, do not feed you, close the door, and leave you strapped to a bed for days sometimes. You defecating on yourself, you peeing on yourself, you choking on your own saliva and spit, right? You can't move because sometimes when they strap you to the bed, they put a strap around your head that's also tied to the bed so you don't have no movement. You know, and the excuse is we don't want you to spit on the staff. You know, yeah. so although your brother's story, Johnny Lancaster's story is like hurtful, it's something that America should look at because it happens every day across the United States. Not only in federal prison, it also happens in state prison and county, especially county prisons. It happens. You know, oh, yeah. At what point do we, the America society, the people they claim that they believe in second chance, rise up and demand that some of these staff be held accountable? You know, because there's no amount of money that you could get in a lawsuit that's going to bring your brother back. No amount. And guess what? Not only the staff should be held accountable, these medical companies that hire these staff should also be accountable. You know, because what the DOC does, what the DOC does, they source these contracts out to these companies. And in Mm -hmm. turn, they hire these people that they... they are unhirable in the medical field or in society. So they go into the prison system and get these jobs. And this is the resource of it. This is the resource. So at what point, America, do we say enough is enough and demand that these companies and these staff be prosecuted? You know, let's strap one of the wardens from one of them prison jails to a bed and see how he feel and neglect him medical treatment in full and the use of the right to use the bathroom or shower. Let's let's do that to one of these wardens or one of these um uh, 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 secretary of prison in Michigan and see how they feel. Absolutely. You know, so what's good for one America should be good for the other. And here on Death by Incarceration, you know, you came to the right show because we all about uh, exposing these clowns in the in the penal system, and especially Michigan, because Michigan got a horrible state prison system. You know, the laws are similar to Pennsylvania, so I could kind of speak on that. However, I'm asking America, if you really believe in justice, rise up, right? You know, demand that Johnny Lancaster's case be highlight in justice. Is that hard? Johnny Lancaster could be your son, your grandson, your brother, your father, your nephew. It could be you. I shouldn't. Shouldn't have to live like this. I should know what happened to my child. A mother in Grand Rapids is desperate to know more about her son's death in prison. An autopsy report says that he died from an accidental overdose, but she wonders where the drugs came from. Fox 17's Lauren Edwards has been looking into this case, and she joins us now live with what she's discovered. Lauren. Janice Max, you know, I met the mom over a month ago at Commissioner Womack's radio station. And since then, you know, we've been talking phone calls, emails, text messages, trying to piece together exactly what happened on the morning of December 9th. And she says, you know what, the autopsy report may say one thing, but she believes there's more to the story. There was nothing wrong with my child. It's a belief Joanne Johnson stands by. We're just a family that needs to find out what happened. It's amazing to me that 
when you try to bring light to it within the public, you try to educate the public as to what's occurring. And as you mentioned, it's not the first time, right? Especially in Michigan. Recently up in the UP in county jail, Paul Bolthouse, he's another person. He sees to death inside of his cell and they have the videotape of the COs looking in the cell, watching him seize to death and they let him. In the women's facility here, right here, 20 minutes from me, young ladies dying of seizures. There's another young lady, I forget her name off the top of my head, but two recently, um, the last one, they overdosed and tried to tell the family that it was she died of natural causes, but that the autopsy showed that she was overdosed. They were giving her three times the medication while she was in SEG. No one changed the forms. So you try to educate the public on what's happening. And number one, they don't believe it. We've had legislators look us in the face on a call, on a call just like this, and say, I don't believe that that occurs here in the state of Michigan. Look me right in the face. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a absolutely. picture of your brother? Yes. You know, can you show that picture of your brother? Yeah, absolutely. America, we're talking about real people, real lives, and it don't matter your sexuality, race, or creed. You know, we're talking about human beings. If you believe in justice, then you should rise up. You should rise up and demand to know what kind of treatment the DOC is issuing to your loved ones. What you're seeing on the screen right now, Marker, is a picture of Johnny Lancaster that was murdered, assassinated by guards in Michigan. This man here is a brother, a father, a grandfather, a friend. He's somebody's son. Could be your son. Could be you. What would you do if it was your son or daughter being strapped to a bed, neglect medical attention, and left to die? What would you do, America? You know, by the MDOC standards and by Alger's standards, he should have never been in that cell. You know, they diagnosed him with mental health issues, yet they still placed him in that cell and knew that he was having a mental health breakdown. And when we look at Dr. Shiner's report, who is the medical expert who reviewed the situation, he literally said that if they had just taken him out and gotten him mental health treatment, he would have survived. And that wasn't the case. And you mentioned, you know, they use it as as punishment. One of the things that the state detective, Sergeant Marker said to me, he said, if they would have just looked at his jacket, they would have looked at his file, they would have seen that he wasn't a problem. But the culture there within that facility, they looked at him, they looked at his tattoos, they looked at his record, and they saw someone that they felt needed more punishment. We have a former CO who now advocates for people who are incarcerated, people like myself in this situation. And she was a CO for 10 years in Michigan. And she says, I look at this situation. This is one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my career in law enforcement. And it's one of those things where it looks like it went too far. They went to push more punishment because of who they thought he was. And it went too far and he died. But that's what the DOC does. When you come into the prison system, most of the cases you already sentenced. So mm -hmm. the justice they use, therefore, has already been issued by the court. It's not the CO's responsibility to um, implement their own brand of justice, but they does, depending on who you are. Like I said, if you are somebody that they deem uncontrollable, uncooperative, um, they have something for you. And most of the time they use solitary confinement as a punishment as a method of punishment. And in most cases, most people 
and like in your brother's case, are not fit to be in solitary confinement, especially if you suffer from any form of mental issues. This is why um, a lot of states are banding solitary confinement as we speak, you know. And the most in some states that they give you is 15 days in solitary confinement. How much time did your brother did in solitary confinement before over this incident happened? Over 60 days. Over 60 days. And what was the charges for him being in solitary confinement? As far as I know, there was a fight. There was an altercation at the last facility. That's it. Someone stole some of his belongings. I think like a player or something, like a music player, and broke it. And then when they, when he found out about it, you know, there there was an altercation. Right. Which is clearly something that don't warrant sixty days in solitary confinement. In most states, what you got is either fifteen days cell restriction, meaning that you be in the cell for a period of time but you still be able to function with normal activities um because you know again solitary confinement is not built for people with mental issues it's really really not it's not not built built for for anyone anyone. no it's not built for anyone let alone people with mental issues you know it becomes a problem when you have mental issues you are being boxed in and no medical attention. That's a problem. That's that's called neglect. That's what it's called. And and in most cases, and in most cases, it's called murder, you know. That's exactly what I call it. And most prison, they call it slow death. Here, according to the CO's day language, I'm quoting, we don't have to kill him, he would die himself. That's how how the CO's talk. Just neglect them full, just neglect, you know, because when you suffer from mental health issues and you are being neglect medical attention, and on top of that, I'm willing to bet that he wasn't being properly fed, right? I'm willing to bet that he wasn't given his hour for the recreation like he was supposed to. I'm willing to bet that some of these CEOs were probably walking through his cell and not even looking in the cell, you know? No. And I'm curious to know how long before they find him in the cell unresponsive. How long he was laying in that bed strap. I'm willing to bet that. You know, and a lot of time, I don't even believe some of these prison reports because they altered a report for them to look good. It's That's why I always ask people and I always tell people, if anything happened to your loved one behind prison walls, make sure you hire your own independent autopsy report because the prison will give you a bogus one and they would say uh, it was natural causes when it really wasn't to defend themselves, you know. Recently started working with the Open My Door over the la- Open My Door campaign and Citizens for Prison Reform over the last couple of years. And one of the things that I have learned is exactly that. And we did have an independent autopsy report done on my brother where the medical examiner said to myself, there's discrepancies here from their reports based on what I'm finding. And then also within Michigan, you have cases where, again, they murdered someone who was incarcerated. Their family reached out to our organization for advocacy and to find out where, what to do, where to go, because, you know, families aren't educated. And they said, you cannot retrieve the body. We are going to have it incinerated. We're going to have it cremated so that they couldn't find out. She was just there visiting her husband and the next thing you know, they're saying that he killed himself. That wasn't the case. Oh, I they know were that's have a the lot. Body cremated. I, I know it's a lot, but also 
our family members need to be educated on how to proceed if this happens. Because Absolutely. what the DOC would do, that will either hold the body too long, right? And let me yeah. say something. Let me give you let me paint a picture for our listeners. When you are when you pass away in a prison, they handcuff your body. They handcuff, handcuff you, shackle you. They put you in a cell with a blanket over you. They wait for the outside medical to come in, right? And declare you dead. Then they put you in a body bag, still handcuffed, still handcuffed. They take you to the hospital or to the mall. And only then, when the hospital doctors declare you dead, is when they uncuff you and unshackle you and release the body. I mean, what sense does that make? What sense did that make? It don't. It's only a layer up to humiliate somebody, to desecrate somebody's legacy, right? And in some cases, when they hold the body too long, they try to tell you, well, um, we're not going to release the body. But that's bullshit. It's bullshit, it's bullshit, it's bullshit. You, as a family member, has the right to retrieve that body. The DOC has no right to cremate nobody's body. The only way the DOC would take that responsibility is if that person has no outside um, family member or next of kin on his file or her file. That's when the DOC take responsibility and some some states they cremate you, other states they bury you in the backyard of the prison, which is serve as a cemetery, you know. And I know this is hurtful for some people, you know, just to visualize that this is what they do to your loved one. But this is the reality, America. This is a beautiful penal system that we so much worship to make a political point. This is the the system that are great president joe biden and a great former senator hillary clinton voted to pass that crime bill they keep people like johnny lancaster in prison even though they suffer from mental health issues this is the great america penal system that now serve as a big mental institution and as a money machine for people because state prison and federal prison are nothing but mental institutions for people that suffer from mental health problems that don't belong incarcerated. And if you don't believe me, find out how many people have died in the state of Michigan in the last year, and you will be surprised. That's another thing. They, the MDOC, have not been honest about their numbers, about deaths that weren't natural within the MDOC, of course. They got called out on it and they had to correct the numbers within media. That's one of the things that I look forward to do every day. How can I call them out? How can I put them on the spot? How can I expose them for who they are and what they are? How can I expose the system every day? Every day I get up and I put on this band and on it, it says justice for John. And it says in solitary and it has the date that he died on it every day i pass those out to someone new every day i pass out stickers i post on social media i join campaigns to try to expose them and to educate the public but mainly to educate families like myself because again they don't know where to go and they don't know what to do 
and then the MDOC wants to throw their little lump of flesh at you, you know, here's a little bit of money, go away. You know, if the families are smart enough or educated enough to get that far, right? And most aren't. So how do we change this, right? How do we how do we get to the point where MDOC no longer or across the nation, right? Because that's the ultimate goal. I where we no longer how. have solitary confinement. I'll tell you how, by having people like you speaking out without fear. You know, and another thing that I, I forgot to mention, when your loved one die in the custody of any DOC across America, their prison number stay activated for a year, for a whole year. Why? You might ask yourself, why do they keep a prisoner's activated number after that person passed away? Because they collect whatever money they're supposed to get for that fiscal year, even if you're dead. So they keep your prison number activated. You wanna know what's even sicker? Is that that prison number, They, I go back, I take a look, and it says he was released. Yes, he was released. That's what they always put after you die and after the, the, and after the hospital, the outside hospital release your body. They're saying release. That means you are released from your federal custody. I know that in Boston, Massachusetts, after you pass away, your record is clear of them charges that you've been accused of. It ha- That's why Aaron Hernandez committed suicide, allegedly, uh, because he wanted his record to be clean. You know, a lot of people miss that part. But once, once your record is clean, that means they cannot tamper with whatever money you got, whatever bank account you got, because you've been released. You no longer have a record. So they can't tamper with your resources. And in some states, after you die, they put release. Kevin, I see you shaking your head, Kevin. Well, one of the things that I'd like to point out to people listening is most Americans have experience with family members that have mental health issues. So imagine your family member being in a in prison and this happening to them, because it could happen that fast. I mean, my brother suffers from long-term depression and and probably bipolar disorder as well has been in and out of county jails and institutions because of a heroin addiction california there's no real mental health help anymore you know reagan did a good job of closing all the facilities here so this is exactly the kind of situation thank goodness you know california has eliminated solitary confinement but that took a hunger strike by prisoners you know and this is happening in many, many states. Michigan is not unique in this in this sort of prison experience for people with mental health health issues. And so I just want people to think long and hard about their family members who have had issues around their mental health, especially during the last couple of years, and know that this this kind of stuff happens and it happens fast. I mean, Johnny got transferred what in January and was dead in March. Yes, end of December beginning of January and March 11th. So a little over three months in a new facility and he was gone. Quarter of his body weight lost. You know, that's the biggest thing for me is you have medical staff who are taking his stats the day, the very day he died, the morning he died. And they didn't seem to think that there was medical care necessary. One of the other things that I found out through this investigation was that the deputy warden was being called 
saying that he did need medical treatment. He needed to be transferred and he didn't have a state phone to answer the calls, to answer the, the emails on a protected, you know, device basically. So he was fired. It's probably a lot. Which is probably, probably a lot because superintendent, superintendents and deputy superintendents, lieutenants and captains are on call 24 hours a day in any institution. It's the same policy across America. Same policy for the DOCs. It's just different soldiers, different states, but it's the same policy. Let me also ask people this that are, you know, that are heavy crime and punishment people, right? How would it feel to you if your if you were your family was a victim of a crime, and the same office was defending that person, and yet they were in charge of also convicting them in another case? You know, I mean, they people the the outcry would be insane, right? If we had the same attorney general defending a, a case in civil court and then coming back and being the one that are supposed to prosecute that in criminal court. What, what do you th- what do you think victims of of crimes would say about that really right so we, we, need, we need to look at this as what it is this was a crime why why in the world would the ag's office be the why isn't there an independent investigator into this you know it's crazy on the morning of march 11th last year the lawsuit says the records indicate his issues escalated over the past week he was cleared to be transported to another facility for medical treatment he was placed in a restraint chair to be prepared for transfer, and had been left unattended for four hours. Four hours later, he was dead. The cause of death, dehydration. Make no mistake about it. This isn't a case of people making an honest mistake or forgetting something. This is a case of employees in the prison watching Johnny die. They watched him die and they let it happen. I mean, the answer is simple. If I have Kevin investigating Swabby, and Kevin is a good friend of mine. There's a possibility that Kevin is not going to find nothing wrong with Swap. Right, Kevin? Exactly. Right. But if you get Daniel to say, we need you to investigate Swap, she never even met Swap or Kevin. You know what she's going to find? Everything that's wrong, everything that Swap did wrong, that contributed to that crime. That's how it goes down. It's a money thing. This is a business. And in some cases, it's a family business because a lot of these people are related. They're friends. They go fishing together, bowling together. Whatever it is that they do for entertainment, they probably do it together. They probably live in the same county. You know, they probably married to somebody else's sister. You know, so they know. They know. When the DOC come at you with an offer, when you're suing them, Always ask, let me see the preliminary notes of that decision. Let me see the notes of your investigation. You know, these are things that family members have the right to do. You know, they're not gonna do it with the right or act law. They're just gonna tell you we don't have it. The camera was off. We had no video footage, but that's a lot. Every solitary confinement unit has video cameras. Now, whether they choose to turn them off at a particular time, when they're going up in people's cells, beating them up and doing whatever violation, that's a different story. But you still could get the videos from before the incident happened and after. Why is it that 
10, 20 minutes after this incident happened, the video was working for something else. Why wasn't it working at this particular time? I mean, these are things that people need to be asking, but we don't do we don't do it because we get emotionally, we we start thinking emotionally, we we our mind clog up with other things. When stuff like this happen, as hurtful as it is, we need to be clear mind. We need to start thinking like they thinking, right? And what that mean is, what would you do if it was you being accused of that? What would you do to hide that? Start you gotta start thinking like them, because that's the only way you're gonna get these people in their own lives. Believe me, trust me, 31 years of expertise in the Department of Correction. Anytime medical is called, they got to document that, even if they come to your cell or not. Every time they take you out your prison cell at a certain time, that is not normal. When they run in the facility, they got to document that time, especially if it's nighttime or before the facility is in normal functions. Anytime the shift change, anytime the shift change, they got to document that. So you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me there's no documentation, there's no footage of this incident. Oh yeah. There's over 4,000 pages of evidence against the state, including their own video, all of the doctors, nurses, whomever came to the cell, 4,000 pages. The prosecutor said it's one of the largest files that she's ever received in her entire career. 4,000 pages of them documenting how they murdered my brother. And that's exactly what it is, is when they called and the officer said, Mrs. Dunn, you're Jonathan Lancaster's emergency contact. Yes, I am. Well, he died this morning. That's literally how he said it, almost jovial. He died this morning. I was in such shock. You have no idea, but I immediately knew that they murdered him. And that's exactly what I told my husband. I said, they murdered my brother. I know they did. They murdered him. That's exactly what happened. So that's exactly why I began to call everywhere to find out what it is that I could do. They didn't, they cleaned his entire cell, even though the state police told them not to touch it, told them not to touch it. They cleaned the entire cell and they left him lay there in the floor. We live in a sick, depraved society where corrections feels that more punishment is necessary. And I say it all the time, the sentence is the punishment. Living in that hell is the punishment because that's exactly what it is. We have no programs, we have no rehabilitation, we have nothing to offer any of these people. Years ago, when he was first incarcerated, he was a part of a dog program. That was the last of it, where he was able to train dogs. He went from a level four to a level two. And you're gonna tell me that a simple altercation puts you in a SEG unit up in the UP six hours away where you ultimately are murdered by staff. And the public does nothing. And a lot of times in my videos or whatever it is that I'm posting, out putting out to the public, the public will say to me, he deserved it. He deserved to die. He shouldn't have been in prison. Shouldn't have been incarcerated. Wouldn't have happened. That's, that's the response that I receive. People look me in my face and tell me that. That's the kind of society we live in. Well, we work, We live in a society where we have a whole bunch of uneducated people on prison issues. I'm not going to use some other word because I don't want Kevin to get a bunch of emails. Why you got Swabby saying that? But I say, we got a bunch of assholes, ignorant people 
right? They will write some stuff like that until it happened to them. Until it's one of their neighbors or one of their family members, then they'd be like, we had a change of heart. That's what all politicians do. Once they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, we had a change of heart. I was able to see how they treat people in the prison system. Oh my God, I don't believe I was voting for them type of laws. Happens all the time. And my response to them is, wait till it happened to you. Wait Incarceration touches everyone, right? It can, wait it till can it happens touch to everyone. you. You know, and I always like to refer, because um, it's interesting. When you watch A Time to Kill, when you watch A Time to Kill, and you see um, the court scene, when the lawyer was telling the jury, just close your eyes and imagine that this person in the cell is your son, your daughter, your grandkid, that you carry for nine months. You birthed this person. It's being in a cell murdered by a bunch of COs that you paying for with your tax dollars. And now imagine that this person is your son because it's different when it happens to you we could sit here and say well he belong in jail suave belong in jail even kevin because kevin is condoning suave talking like this but when it happens to you you're going to be searching that internet and you'll be like oh i'm calling death by incarceration because i need their representation you see what you're doing is nothing wrong what you're doing is what me and Kevin been encouraging America to do. Becoming a voice for the voiceless. It's never too late. We got to turn a, a, a tragedy into a story of triumphant. We got to turn it into a story of accountability against these guards and the prison system. We got to turn it into a story where our families could stand up and say, you know what, enough is enough. We demand justice because our families and community has the right to know what's going on behind these prison walls. I always say these prison walls are not only up to keep people in, they're also up to keep the public from knowing what's going on. But you as a taxpayer, you as a taxpayer has the right to know what kind of treatment, what kind of medication these brothers and sisters are being given to because at the end of the day, if they survive this cruel system, they're coming back to your neighborhood. They're gonna be your neighbors. They're gonna be your problem, not the DOC no more. So you have the right to demand to know what's taking place, especially if it's your loved ones. And if you don't, you will see, you will see, well, they don't you think the system is set up to fail though you're you're set up to fail from the time that you're released you have to go to parole probation right you have to take drug tests you have to do whatever requirements that they they put on you that they require right whatever the state deems those requirements are for you so you come out you have no job you have no vehicle you're most likely going to stay with a family member right so now that pressure is put on the family members to take you to parole, probation, how many times a week, even though they may be employed, you need a ride there because if you miss it, right, 
So it's set up for you to come back. And I've heard my brother say that a million times. However, I do not care what your brother was in prison for. I do not care how many times he went in because people make mistakes. And sometimes people make one, two, three, four, five, six mistakes before they get it right. Nobody, especially a correctional officer, has the right to take another person's life because they feel that they don't like that person, how they're conducting themselves on the block, or maybe they even disrespect the guard. That's part of your job. You know, you don't have the right to take nobody's life. You don't have no right to deny anybody in solitary confinement the right to see a doctor or a nurse or to seek mental health treatment. You don't have that right. It's not in your job description. It is the judge's right to give you the sentence. The DOC, all they have to do is carry it out, meaning house you, care, custody, control, not care, murder, control. That's what the DOC is supposed to do. You go there till you dump serving that time, then you're supposed to be released. Not you go there and get murdered because these officers don't like you. And if you are an officer out there that's listening to this and you have something to say, whether it's against the show or you have a different point of view, contact FBI Incarceration. You know, we're not being biased to anybody. We just airing out the issues the way we see it. Kevin, I see you shaking your head, Kevin. I see you. I mean, it's utterly insane that the United States is the only country in the world that treats people like this. It's insane. Every other country considers solitary confinement to be torture. So does the UN. If this was happening in in a conflict in another country, even this would be considered a war crime. So hearing Johnny's story and your emotion really humanizes this for our listeners. And people need to understand that this happens every single day in this country, that we are not the land of the free. Now, we recently are... Um, Citizens for Prison Reform and Open My Door campaign recently had the UN do uh, uh, a webinar for us and to educate folks on what's happening and why why is this still being tolerated in places like Michigan, right? So it's one of the things that we are definitely working on is educating the public across the world, not just Michigan, but with a focus on Michigan and there is also a change.org petition. We're so close to 10,000 signatures at this point. Um, it's my hope that when we get to 10,000 signatures that we can um, forward that to the governor and hopefully hear some sort of response from her. She's yet to respond to any sort of media piece, even regarding John's story or anyone. Sabri Alexander is the young lady I was mentioning earlier. She's the young lady who sees to death in the women's facility and it's on video hours of her seizing over a hundred seizures and the governor won't respond nobody will respond they don't care so it's my hope that if we bring enough attention if we get enough signatures if we educate enough people that we can start to make changes legislatively and educate the public as to what's happening so we can end this and not have anybody die a horrific death like my brother Losing my brother has been the most horrific thing to ever happen to me and and my family. And to have, to know the details, to know the details that I know. 
I don't even know all of the details, right? Nor do I, I think that I want to. But what I do know is enough and enough to know that they tortured him to death. They tortured him to death. Nobody deserves to die like that. My God, nobody deserves to die like that. Alone, strapped to a bed in your own waist, crying out for your family when you could talk. It's it's sickening and it has to stop. It has to. And it's it's my sole purpose for the rest and remaining of my life to make sure that it ends starting here in Michigan. Something's gonna end, something's gonna change here. I won't stop until it does. I mean, so we just want to thank you for choosing Death by Incarceration as a platform to share the story. We are honored um, and respecting your time. We're coming up on the hour. We want you to close the show like we close every other show with a call to action. We want you to give the call to action to the people that's listening. Absolutely. So. I would love if everybody listening today would go to justiceforjohnny.com. The petition is there. There's also uh, sign the petition to end segregation, solitary confinement in the state of Michigan. Sign that, add your name to the list, help us to get to that 10,000 and above mark. Also, there is a link there to contact the Marquette County prosecutor and to help us put pressure. Just send an email, the link is there. All you have to do is plug your name in and say, hey, we would like to see charges come to the staff that murdered John Lancaster. Check out Open My Door and Open My Door campaign and Citizens for Prison Reform. There's lots of great information that'll educate families like mine and the public as to how you can get help for your loved one who's currently incarcerated. And if something horrific has happened like this, we're looking for all the help and looking for people to educate and reach out to. So from now on, what is your favorite podcast? What would you say? Of course, Death by Incarceration. There you go. And if you heard it here first, then you know it's official. You are listening to Death by Incarceration with Suave Gonzalez and Kevin McCracken. Thank you so much for listening. Please support us on Patreon at Death by Incarceration Podcast. Hit that follow button on all platforms. Share with a friend or 10. Follow us on social media at Death by Incarceration on Instagram, at DB Incarceration on Twitter, at DBI underscore podcast on TikTok. For all booking and media requests, please email Kevin at Death by Incarceration Podcast.com. Death by Incarceration is a production of DBI Media LLC, produced and written by Suave Gonzalez and Kevin McCracken, editing by Jason Usry. Thanks to Crawlspace Media and Glassbox Media for being our partners. Please listen to our other shows, Injustice with Lisa Spees and Spencer Daniels, and watch for our upcoming special on the Camp Hill Riot of 1989. Special thanks to Checker for all their support of the show and to Kevin and Suave individually. We really appreciate it. Have a great week, everyone. And please, if you can, take action. Media Podcast.